Welcome to all of you and welcome to our Wednesday night Bible study. Appreciate you uh, all being here. We are in 2 Kings. Uh, we finally finished uh, 1 Kings. Great look at the scriptures there. Now we are going into 2 Kings. We went through chapter 1 last week and now we are at chapter 2. This is Elijah. Remember what has happened is that throughout the record of the kings of Israel and Judah, they kind of buzz through a lot of different names and stuff, and all of a sudden they really slow down when they come to the life of Elijah, and now also Elisha, these two uh, very impressive prophets who uh, really had the power of God in them in incredibly unique ways. Elijah is now getting ready to be taken up into heaven, okay, and, uh, and then Elisha will take over and now be the next major prophet here. So we pick it up at chapter 2, verse 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah says to Elijah, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. And uh, which is kind of funny, you'll see here that Elijah's trying to lose Elisha. (laughs) And Elijah says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Well, the company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elijah Elisha, so there's these prophets are kind of hanging out down at Bethel and they come to Elijah and say, hey, do you know that the Lord's going to take your master today? They knew it, see, they were in tune with God and with the spirit, what God was doing. And uh, they kind of say, you know, you know, God's taking him today. And uh, Elijah says, yeah, I, I know, but don't speak of it. And then Elisha says to him, Elijah comes up and says, okay, now stay here. Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Again, trying to lose the poor boy. And uh, Elisha replies, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Well, the company of the prophets at Jericho came up to Elisha and said, uh, say, do you know uh Lord's going to take your master from you? Everybody knew this. <laughs> All the prophets were in on it. And he said, yeah, yeah, I know, but please don't, don't talk about it. And Elijah comes up and says, okay, now you stay here. The Lord sent me to the Jordan. And again, he says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked out. What a great amount of commitment uh, Elisha had towards Elijah. I mean, most guys, you're trying to get people to really be committed and stick with you. And, you know, and you got to work really, really hard, make sure they will run it off. And Elijah, you know, he's trying to dump the guy and he can't get rid of him. That's when you really know you got people who want to stick with you. When you're trying to dump them and they won't leave. All right? So, um, so he said, as soon as the Lord lives, uh, I won't leave. So the two of them walked on. Well, 50 men of the company of prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. So just these 50 prophets are just watching. Why? Because they know something's up. They know God's going to come take Elijah. They're not sure exactly what's going on, but they know. They know, and they're kind of like, <laughs> watch this. So they're kind of focused on him. Well, Elijah comes to the Jordan River, big river. They don't have the bridges, I and mean, what are you going to do? Well, Elijah takes his cloak, and he rolls it up, and he hits the water. And the water divides to the right and to the left. And then the two of them walk over on dry ground. <laughs> Pretty cool. It's, I mean, these guys are cool prophets. Good, I mean, you know, this is, this is awesome. This is all, these guys are doing all kinds of bizarre stuff. So he crosses over, the, uh, over and then Elijah says to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken? Because he knew. Everybody knew. 
And Elisha says this. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Now, from prophet talk, that would be greedy. You know what I'm saying? I would be thrilled to be like Elijah. Man, just, I'd say, give me a tenth of what you got. And I'm a happy Puerto Rican. You know what I'm saying? This, to have, you know, maybe I can't spread the Jordan River, but I can cross, you know, the Fox River or something. You know what I'm saying? Something. Something. I'd like just a piece of this. But Elijah goes, he doesn't want a piece. I want twice what you got. Whoa. And uh, Elijah says, well, you, you've asked a difficult thing. But then he says this. He says, well, I'll tell you what. If you can see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, you get nothing. Well, as they're walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. Yeah, I'd get out of the way. And Elijah climbs into this chariot of fire. Horse of fire. Wow. And he goes taken off into heaven. On this chariot of fire. Swing down, sweet chariot. Coming for to carry me home. You ever heard that song? That was neat. That's, that's what this is about. That's what they're singing about. Well, Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father! The chariots and horsemen of Israel! I mean, this is like, wow, check it out! And Elisha saw him no more. He's gone. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. And he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Okay, now, so Elijah, he's finally gone. Now, let us reflect upon Elijah. I mean, he was pretty impressive, right? He says, there's not going to be any more rain, just like that, no rain. Wow. Pretty, he says, time to rain, all of a sudden, rain comes. This is the guy, tells the widow, listen, you take care of me first. You give, and it will be given to you, is in essence what he was saying to her. And then the whole time, there were little jars that never emptied. It just, it was always, you know, they dump it out, make some food, and next up, there's some more in there. You know, it just, it never stopped. Very, very cool. This is the guy who, the son of this poor widow dies, and he lays on the kid, and he Speaks life back in the kid. He pops awake. I mean, pretty cool. I mean, this guy, he's the one who gets, you know, taken on the prophets of Baal. And say, come on, you start a fire. I'll start a fire. We'll see who, who God's going to answer with fire. You know, they had this big showdown on Mount Carmel. And boom, Elijah speaks. Fire falls down from heaven. I mean, this guy is like, wow. You know, he doesn't even think. He comes to the water, just takes his cloak. Bang, get out of the way. This is an impressive man. Now. A prophet, prophecy comes along, talking about the one who would make the way for Jesus. Okay, someone was going to come and prepare the way of the Lord. Do you remember who he was? John the Baptist. Okay. And what was said of John the Baptist, he would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. What would that look like to you? What would you expect? Miracles? Making stuff happen? Haven't seen you two in a while. How you doing? Uh, uh, you know, I mean, boom! Oh, that's incredible! Wow! Sturgeon Bay people. <laughs> I mean, this is like incredible stuff. 
Wouldn't you think? I mean, if I was going to tell you, Pastor Mark is coming in the power and the spirit of Elijah. You think, man, get me, I want to get in line. I want to see something happen. I want, you know, dead people raised. I want stuff. You know what I'm saying? But was there ever a record of John the Baptist doing anything supernatural? Not once. What's up with that? He said he's coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah. One of the most impressive, most, I mean, the only one who even comes close to these two is Jesus. I mean, Jesus comes in, he's doing so many miracles, he blows them all away. But I'm saying, this is, someone announces you're coming to spirit, power of life. You would expect miracle after miracle after miracle. I mean, remember, this is Elijah. The, the guy comes with this, the captain and 50 men saying, hey, you come down here. And he just sent down fire and toast them all. You know what I'm saying? It's happened to you. I mean, this is impressive. This is an impressive, powerful guy. Here comes a guy in the spirit and the power of that. Wow. Yet when he comes, as far as we know, he does nothing. Nothing of a miraculous nature. How to explain this? A couple of things. First of all, oftentimes when God says something, it looks different when you get there. Are you hearing me? Have we not talked about this? I mean, this is when remember God told Elijah, you go down, I've told this widow to take care of you. He gets there, she doesn't know nothing about it. I thought you said the widow was going to take care of me. Did she wind up taking care of him? Yes. But it looked different than what you think. It's amazing how discouraged people get when they believe God has spoken to them or promised something to them and they get there and it doesn't look like what they thought it would look like and they get discouraged. And they get so frustrated and they give up. I, I thought, God, I thought you said this. I did say that. Well, this is not that. Yeah, it is. What? I'm just telling you, it looks different. You've got to get that number one through your head. Clearly, this is what they struggled with Jesus. Did they know a Messiah was coming? They did. Remember the three wise men come up? Said, hey, we saw the Messiah's star. Where is he going to be born? Did they say, we don't know? What did they say? Bethlehem. They knew. They know, of course, they couldn't be bothered. You know, a little too religious this week. I got my goldfish to clean. I, you know, I... <laughs> they knew where they, they, they didn't even go. It was, it was a bunch of pagans as far as we know. Wise men from the east who looked at astrology, stuff you're not supposed to be doing. They come to worship the Christ child. The religious people are far too busy for that. Not part of our doctrine this week. You know. They knew he was coming. And when he came and started doing miracles, they would have expected. Why were people crying out? A lot of them, this, this, is, this is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. But why did they not buy into the fact that he was the Messiah? Because it, it, looked, it looked different. It's not what they were expecting. What they were expecting was the Messiah to show up and kick butt and take names. They were under the oppression of the Roman army. They were literally waiting for the Messiah to come to set them free from Roman oppression. <coughs> Sorry. 
That, that's what they're waiting for. They were waiting for it to come. You know, are you at this time going to restore Israel? Remember when he came into, uh, uh, he was going to come into his triumphal entry. Are you going to restore Jerusalem at this time, the kingdom? And Jesus said, just chill out, chill out. So now he is coming and he's going to do all these things. The next time he comes, he is going to be coming, kicking butt and taking names. Are you hearing me? See, the first time, see, there were two pictures when you look in the Old Testament now. You see this picture of a suffering Messiah, but then you see the conquering Messiah. Well, what did they want to see? The conquering Messiah, they, they, had no, they couldn't fathom the suffering Messiah. It looked different. I promise you, when Jesus comes back, he's not going to come meek and mild and let people push him around. Coming back, butt kicker. Are you hearing me? But not the first time, and they, and they couldn't get their heads around it. Amen. It just looked different. So here comes John the Baptist in the power, the spirit and the power of this man. And yet, no miracles. What up with that? Well, is it possible that the spirit and the power he was talking about was a confrontational spirit? An in-your-face spirit. Because that would make sense. Because if there was one thing John the Baptist had, it was an in-your-face attitude. He went around and told everybody, knock it off! You need to repent! You know, I mean, this wasn't like a warm and fuzzy guy. He wasn't like trying to have, you know, great, great analogies of why God loves you and why you need to open your heart to Christ. And as the music plays softly and every head's bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, would you consider opening your heart? He wasn't soft like that at all. He just walked and said, knock it off! Repent! Kingdom of God, God is coming! You're not going to go to hell if you don't straighten up! I mean, it eventually got him killed. Do you remember they cut off his head? Why? Because he insulted Herod. He gets in front of Herod and rebukes Herod. Not a good idea. (laughs) But he didn't care. Because he had a spirit on him that was a butt-kicking spirit. And saying, we need to do the right thing. We need to do it now. And it was that power and spirit that came on the nation that prepared the way for the Lord to come. I have long advocated as so many Christians all around America pray diligently and sincerely God send a revival. And I'm convinced what we need right now is a John the Baptist period. We need a John the Baptist period. We need people who will get some cojones for crying out loud. We need some pastors who will stand up and start telling it like it is. And they aren't necessarily going to be warm and fuzzy. Some going to be irritating like me. And just say, we need to get this right. Pray for God to send a great renewal across America. Send a revival to what? We got people in the church, husbands and wives can't even stand each other. Our job is just trying to keep them from killing one another. Half the men, Christian men in survey after survey, addicted to pornography. That means every other guy. If that statistic is true in here, it better not be. I'd be like, every other guy. Porn, 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 porn. 
Are you kidding me? In the church? And it is time that we need the spirit and the power of Elijah to fall on the church in America. We need to start getting stuff right. Start living right. Let's just do the base. Let's get the basics right. Why? Because we need to prepare the way of the Lord. If there's going to be a chance for a moving of God in America, I believe we have got to have a path blaze where we start just getting the basics right. And let God move. And now he's got something to work with. Now Jesus shows up. Jesus was able to show up in a nation that pretty much got the jerk slacked out of it. Because of John the Baptist. They came by the multitudes to be baptized by him. The power of God was on him. As he just confronted people in their sin. That was. See this was the man who stood up to Ahab and said knock it off. This is the man who stood up to the mighty king. The most wicked king. And his Jezebel wife. Who was called Jezebel. Clearly this was the spirit and the power that they were talking about. It had to be because John the Baptist. But again, isn't it amazing how we see things differently? Now check this out. So Elijah goes chasing off up into heaven. Now we know the Bible says that from the beginning when God said, if, if you, Adam, if you, if you go here, if you eat of the tree, if you disobey me, instead of living forever, you will, you will die. And we know that everybody now dies. Nobody gets into the kingdom of God for eternity in this package. All right? But we know of two guys who did. Remember who the first one was? Anybody? Enoch. Enoch. Moses died. God buried Moses, it says. They don't know where he buried him. But God buried him. Look back at Genesis. We talked about this when we first came back to the Old Testament. Genesis, the fifth chapter. Some little obscure dude named Enoch. Genesis 5, 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah, who was really a geezer. That guy lived to almost 1,000 years old. Methuselah. So they say, man, guys, as old as Methuselah. That's what they're talking about, this guy. And after he became the father of Methuselah, he walked with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. I'll bet, 300 years, you can have a whole bunch. And altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. And then there's this verse. Enoch walked with God, and then he was gone. No more. Why? Because God took him away. Doesn't say he died. It says God took him away. And then the next time we see Someone who just gets whisked away, it is Elijah. All right, now, stay with me. Turn to Revelations. Book of Revelation, last book in the Bible. Zing! Revelation, the 11th chapter. Someday, if I get enough courage, we'll do the book of Revelation. This thing's like, whoa, hochi mama. This is like, this is tough to figure this one out. But let's start chapter 11, verse 1, book of Revelation. Now, he's talking about the last days. This is the last days. This is when, you know, everything's really hitting the fan. Judgments of God's coming heavy on the earth. Uh, the Antichrist is out uh, causing all kinds of grief. Um, uh, eventually, 
the, uh, you know, all this is going to come to get to an end. God's going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. There's going to be judgment day. All this is, this is all before the final days. So chapter 11, verse 1. I was given a reed. This is John who's, who's experiencing this. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there. But exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. And again, a lot of figurative stuff here. But then he says here, and I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. So here's a prophecy talking about in this last day, when all this stuff is uh, going weird and, and, and all this stuff is happening and the end times and, uh, you know, whoa, all kinds of kind of bizarre stuff is happening. In the midst of all this, God brings two guys in. We don't know who they are. So this is pure speculation on my end. But I got a pretty good guess who I think the two are. My guess? Enoch and Elijah show up. They've just been chilling out in heaven. And my guess to him, them, has probably been feeling like a couple of days. You know, because time is different. All of a sudden, God's going to send them back. And these guys are going to show up in the midst of all this evil that's in the earth. And they're going to show up and just start kicking butt and taking names. And doing all kinds of powerful things in the name of, of God. So these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Again, John talking, all this figurative stuff. And if anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Who's that sound like? And this is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. So if anyone comes to try, now you have to stop and think. These guys pop up and they start, start preaching to everybody and start calling down judgment and repentance and stuff. You know, talk about... The authorities having a problem with these two cats. But anyone who tries to stop them is killed. Fire. I mean, who knows what this actually looks like? This is a bizarre thing. But nobody can stop them. I wonder what CNN's going to do on that day. Look at these cats. I just. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Now, these men have power to shut up the sky so it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. Who's that sound like? <laughs> like Elijah. They have power to turn the waters into blood. Sounds like Moses there. To strike the earth. But these guys just with all kinds of, of power. They can have plagues as often as they want. They are just going to bring grief on the earth. As God's witnesses testifying to the power and the presence and mighty goodness of God. Now, all kinds of debate on are we around for this? Some people believe that the rapture will happen before this. Other people believe the rapture will happen somewhere in the middle of this. And other people don't believe the rapture will happen at all. But anyway, I, I'm voting for option one. <laughs> Personally, I would rather not be here. You know what I'm talking about? I'd like to be dead, 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 dead. We're out of here. Okay? But even when we get raptured, the Bible says we'll be instantly changed. This physical body will not go. Okay, it's just we, everything's just in a heartbeat. We just got to beat dying. Anyway, so that's what I'm voting for. Uh, so anyway, so now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and power over, overpower them and kill them. So at some point after these 42 months of these guys creating all kinds of grief in the name of God, as God, and they're bringing out plagues and famines and whatever they want to do is they're preaching and speaking against this evil that's in the earth. Then all of a sudden, somehow somebody kills them. Well, it says their bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and, Sodom and Egypt, figuratively, 
where the Lord was also crucified. In other words, this is Jerusalem. Okay? This is where this is going to happen. So for three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. So what's going to happen is there ba- what, the pro- what the Bible's saying. John, 2,000 years ago, wrote that there's going to be an event where these two guys will finally be killed and the whole world will see it and watch it. Now you have to understand, before even a hundred years ago, really, you would have thought, how can this be? Well, see, we don't even think about it because we got television today. I mean, they, this is basically, he knew that everybody's going to be watching this. All, now remember, the world at this point is in an incredible state of evil. Everybody hates these two guys. Finally, somebody kicks him off and they are so happy they're dead. Ding dong, the witch is dead, wicked witch, tweedle witch. I mean, they're having a party. All the munchkins are dancing. These two guys are down. The Bible says the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other's gifts. They're going to turn it into Christmas. This is fabulous. The whole world is so happy. These two guys are finally dead. They start sending each other gifts. The whole world's watching again. Before understanding technology now, for a long time, people said, well, this is impossible. Well, it's not impossible. It's what happens now. The whole world can watch stuff go on. Because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. They were so sick of these guys. But I love this part. So the whole, they're, they're not burying them. They're letting them rot. That's how much they hated them. They're letting them just lie there and rot in the sun for three and a half days. But after three and a half days, God comes along, breathes life back into them. And they stand back up on their feet. <laughs> oh, man, I hope we can watch this from heaven because that's where we're going to be at. You know, we can tune in. This is going to be cool. They're so happy. They're dancing. They're having parties. They're sending each other presents. And all of a sudden, breaking news. <laughs> this just in. These two guys just stood up. And the Bible says, terror will stop it. It will. People will be terror. Holy stinking cow, they're alive. And of course, I've got to figure, oh my goodness. More plagues, more punishment, more. But when they pop alive, it says, then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come on up, guys. We're out of here. And then they went up into heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on that very hour there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed and seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the god of heaven so i mean this is pretty wild stuff so anyway i'm just tying this together i do not know for certain that it's these two guys um to me it just makes sense that all of a sudden these two guys show who are incredible because we got two unaccounted guys now it's possible they could have been translate transformed like that in the way to heaven like like the rapture is going to happen. But I just have this, my, oh, my theory has always been, I think it's these two guys. I think they're just hanging out there. And they got sends them back in. They just come in and start kicking butt, taking names. They're having a great time. They finally die. Everybody's got to die. And they pop alive, boink, and then take them back into heaven. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> oh, man, I'm out of time. Uh, um, yeah, I'll end there. Because, then, because now what we're going to do now is... Uh, uh, 
we are going to start following Elijah. Elijah picks up the cloak that Elijah had dropped as he went taken off into heaven in this fiery chariot. And then he starts going, and now the other prophets start to watch him and starts to see what happened. And right away, yeah, some serious power falls on Elisha, and he becomes now this pretty incredible prophet that does some pretty amazing miracles. Great fun. So we'll pick this up again. Next week, you guys can take time now and ask all your questions of your campus pastor. See you next week. And now we can talk. Cool. All right. Where's my microphone? Ooh, put Pastor Lathan to work. Here we go. All right, y'all. Question time. Who's got them? Stuff's falling out here. No questions out of all that? There we go. So it sounds like these schools of prophets that uh, Elijah and Elisha ran into at, uh, let's see, where was it, Bethel and then Jericho, that yeah. they were good prophets this time? That sounds like it. It sounds, it sounds like, like these were, were legitimate prophets. They were in tune with what was going on, so it sounds like they're good prophets. Yeah. As opposed to the evil prophets we've... Yeah, yeah, the prophets of Baal and stuff like that. Although it's conceivable that they were... Because every once in a while you'll see these guys. It's kind of hard to distinguish if these are the legit prophets or not. It sounds like because they talk freely with each other and stuff. We do know that there were schools of prophets. These guys hung out. Uh, Here's the thing about prophets back then, and which is pretty much true of prophets today. I talked about this a little bit uh, Sunday morning. Where it says, you know, let those who prophesy, let them prophesy. And let those who serve, let them, you know, we talk about letting people do what God's called them to do. When we talk about prophecy, we're not talking about just seeing the future. We're talking about speaking uh, a divine utterance, speaking the words of God. Word has a word of encouragement. If all of a sudden I feel like God is really telling me to say something to you, I'll say to you, you know, I really feel God has this to say to you. She's freaking out. She's, get away from me, you weirdo. But, uh, <laughs> but, but then I would say, you know, I just really think God is saying such and such. That would be prophesying, okay, speaking. It could involve the future. You know, I really feel that, you know, God is saying because I think he's going to do such and such with you down the road, you know. Um, so anyway, this is what this is. And there's people, and sometimes it might just be a scripture. Someone will come and say, you know, I really, I, I don't know really what you're going through, but I have this, I just feel like God wants me to read this to you. And he'll read a verse of scripture or something to them. And it's, this is called prophesying. And we want to hear from people. And the Bible encourages us in the church, the people who have this kind of spirit on them that they can start speaking the words of God. Uh, it's a little bit different today than it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they took it really, 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 really seriously. And if you spoke something, especially that you said that was going to happen and it doesn't happen, they kill you. I mean, you know, they didn't mess around. Do we do that today? If someone says, I feel like God's going to do this in your life and he doesn't do it, do we go out and kill them? No, we don't go out and kill them. Uh, It's a little bit different. You have to remember, when these guys spoke prophets, it was like they weren't trying to sense some still small voice. I mean, God would like show up and talk to these guys. You know what I'm saying? It was was a major thing. Uh, You know, that God sometimes physically would speak to them or some dramatic way. And then if they misrepresented that, remember, to whom much is given, much is required. And God was very, very strict about it. And it was just certain people. And it was pretty limited. What happens 
is a prophet comes along. His name is Joel. You can read about it in the Old Testament. And he says, I see a day coming. I see a day coming that's going to be unlike anything that we're experiencing now. He says, God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Right now it's just been on certain guys. And he's going to pour his spirit upon everybody. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams or whatever. And he starts talking about this incredible day. We are walking in that day. Remember when the Holy Spirit first came on the uh, apostles in the upper room while they were waiting. And they start, that's when they first started speaking in tongues and stuff like that. People were saying, what is this? And Peter got up and said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. See, So now we're in a different day. Now it's not just a few. This can happen to anybody. God can freely move over you, give you dreams. I had someone just the other day come and say, man, God's giving me some really, really interesting dreams. You know, and I listen to stuff like that. You know, what are they saying? What is God saying? We're supposed to be listening to that. We should be open to people speaking to us as they feel God is speaking to us. Now, the Bible says this. In this day, let the prophets speak, but let the others judge. In other words, you don't necessarily buy in 100% everything somebody says to you. Okay, and if they're not exactly right, we don't go out and kill them and stuff like that. But it's just, it's just a different day. God can use everybody and anybody here in a prophetic sense to speak into people's lives. Uh, and it's just neat, you know. And you don't have to work with this fear. Oh my gosh, am I, am I, am I exactly right? It's okay. If you feel God's saying something to you to say to somebody, say it. If you feel like God is saying something to you, to me, come talk to me. Say, man, I really feel God's saying this. Uh, and, and I want to hear that. And then we judge it. Then we look at it. The, the thing what we need is we need encouragement to let people prophesy, which is what Paul said We preached on Sunday. Let people do this. Let them encourage them. As God is speaking through them and use them, encourage that. But... While we need to let them that, those who prophesy need to be comfortable with the fact that the others need to judge what they're saying. And we need to filter it and make sure it's done properly. And if you feel God's telling you something and somebody doesn't listen, then you get all mad. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I will say this. People who seem to have a real strong gift of prophecy, uh, they're a little odd. They just are. And people who have it will admit it, if they're honest. They're just a little strange. You know, someone who's like really spiritual, really, and you get around, it's like, you know, that kind of thing. They're just, they're just, they're just a little odd. And the thing that, if you've got a gift of prophecy on you and you get mad because not everybody comes running up to you and want your opinion on stuff, it's because you freak them out. Okay? Get comfortable with it. It's okay. You read about the prophets in the Old Testament, if anything, weird, describe them. Would be an understatement. These are some of the strangest dudes on the face of the earth. You know what I'm saying? And that still kind of happens today. Some of the most spiritually in tune people tend to be some of the strangest individuals on earth. And that's okay. We need to hear from everybody. And uh, it's all part of the body of Christ. All part of those stones. Oh, well, there's somebody else that, before you. Who was it? Let me, yeah, right here. Let, let me just add a little bit to what, what you're saying there about, about prophecy. When, uh, if you look in 1 Corinthians, Paul deals a lot with that. Particularly after... Uh, First um, Corinthians 13, First Corinthians 12. He t- they, they talk about the gifts of the Spirit in First Corinthians 12. And then 13, of course, is the love chapter because everything should be done. All the gifts of the Spirit should be done on, in the context of love. And then 14, chapter 14, deals a lot with that. And, and Paul actually says, he said, "I'd rather you prophesy more than any of the other gifts." He's actually encouraging the church, the body, what was talked about on Sunday, that the, the, for as as people we should be prophesying. 
Okay, uh, and he says, I'd rather you do that, you know, because he was talking about tongues, and they were, they were referring to tongues, and he said, you know, you, 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 you pride yourself because you speak in tongues. He said, that's good. He said, I, Paul says, I pray in tongues every single day, but I'd rather you prophesy. And he, would, he, was, he was challenging the people then, and he challenges us now that we would prophesy. Then in chapter 14, he actually describes a lot of what I believe is the prophecy that we see most of the time in the church today. And that is, he, he refers to it in three ways. He said, prophesy for encouragement, edification, and the building up. It's, it's powerful. I don't, if you've ever had somebody share something with you, prophesy over you to encourage you, it, it's a, it, so often it's at the right time, in the right situation. You're in a place where you're just feeling, God, I, I just don't know which way to turn. Someone comes up and says to you, you know, shares a word with you. It may be a, a scripture, but it's there to build you up, to encourage you, to edify you. That's how Paul describes prophecy uh, in, 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 in the church, particularly today, more so than anything else. Yeah, and he wanted everybody to do it. Again, if there's anything we need to encourage is remember, the Spirit of God is on all of you guys. I know some of you don't feel like it, but, uh, you know, sometimes there's, there's more gifts in us than we're willing to really know. This lady right here has been raising her hand a couple of times. Lathan, right there. Were any of the prophets women in the Old Testament? It talks about, uh, certainly in the New Testament, it mentions that there's women. They call them prophetess, the prophetesses. Yes, absolutely. You want to prophesy, sweetie? Prophesy away, you know. <laughs> There, there's, uh, there's a lady in church. I, I consider her having a gift of prophecy. She speaks to me a lot. She'll come to me and say, man, I, I think God's saying this to you. And, uh, and I got to tell you, what was real interesting is all the craziness we went through over the last few months. And things are really great now, thank God. But when we were going through that hard time, I know a lot of people were really concerned about it. I said, man, how are you doing? How are you holding up? Well, what was amazing is before any of this happened, she and other people were coming up to me. And they were telling me what was going to happen and speaking it to my life and to encourage me. I mean, just before it all started hitting the fan, one morning, three people, I have never had three people ever in this church, actually ever in my life, three people come up to me, one after who didn't even know each other, that had said anything, said, I, I just feel like God wants to tell you this, and boom, they just said, this is going to happen, and somebody else out in the forest said, boom, this is going to happen, and then someone after the service said, boom, this is going to happen, and boy, did it happen, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I, you know how encouraging that is? Because it'd be easy to think, I've lost my mind, especially until we find out what was really behind all this. Like, well, what's wrong with me? What, what's going on? Am I, you know, I'm not, am I really making stuff up? So that, that kind of stuff is very powerful. And when one of them was a woman. So absolutely, God can use women. Believe it or not. Okay, now who had the question? There you go. Yeah, Pastor Mark, I got a... Uh, there's a little thing that I'm having a problem with. Uh, with um, in your face, uh, life-saving, you know, when you go to somebody, if you get right up in their face, like, say, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Confrontational. And then, then you have a yeah, confrontation. Uh-huh. And then you have a situation where some people think that you should be real easygoing and kind of win their favor and then kind of start settling in and kind of working their way. Um, if you get in their face, aren't you just planting a seed that maybe someday they'll take, take that seed and it'll start to bloom? Or, or should a guy go easy, take it to time? Uh, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the Bible says speak the truth in love. And I think we can speak the truth in love. I, I'm hoping that when I speak on issues very boldly, people don't think I hate them. But I just don't think it always has to be the warm and fuzzy. I just don't think that everything has... I mean, look at Paul the Apostle. He was one of the most in-your-face guys in the Bible. This is the guy, remember Galatians, the book of Galatians? We read this, he starts in a few chapters, a few verses, and, and he says, 
And I'm so mad at these guys who won't do the right thing. I, w- I would that they would be eternally condemned. Which in plain English means I wish they'd go to hell. Whoa. That's a little strong. Then he repeats himself. And in case you missed that. <laughs> let me repeat. I wish they'd go to hell. And then he later said, I wish they'd cut their wieners off. Remember this one? This is, this is you know. I mean, <laughs> Galatians said, man, you, you know, do I do the right thing? I don't care who you are. Cut your wiener off and go to hell. I mean, that was Paul. So clearly... Not everybody has to be the super soft, gentle, even though he wrote about being gentle and stuff. So I just think the thing with John the Baptist is that if it was not the spirit of willfully confronting what was wrong, you don't have to be mean about it, but willfully confronting that was wrong was what was the, that was about Elijah that he stood up to people. Now we see the miracle, that's what we see are the miracles, see. That's why when we heard that, John the Baptist is going to be like the spirit of Elijah. We would have expected miracles, but there weren't any. What he was talking about was this boldness, this divine boldness to confront what is wrong. And what I'm saying, I think in the church today, and I'm not just talking about me, I'm talking about we need to have this all over America, where men and women are standing up under the spirit of this John the Baptist kind of spirit. You know, not being mean, but then enough to address issues that everybody's afraid to address. Say, hey, we need to start doing the right things here. In, especially in the midst of a culture that says there should be no values. You know, everything is relative. You shouldn't commit adultery ordinarily. But you fall in love. You didn't mean for it to happen. You know what I mean? This is, this is the stuff we're in every day. They, they might acknowledge righteousness... But in the same breath, say, but, and then see, everything becomes relative. And then we got this, this gray area where people don't know what's right and wrong anymore. And sadly, we're talking the church. I get it from the pagans, but the church needs to be a little bit more black and white. Not in meanness or in hardness or in evil. And I think the church is making a big mistake when it says that if you're black and white, it will keep people away from the kingdom of God. I don't believe that at all. I think you can be black and white in love and it'll draw people. And it's interesting that one of the most strict mean black and white religions on the face of the earth Islam is attracting men by the tens of thousands and millions all over the world apparently it doesn't push people away do you see what I'm saying and what I think why, why Christianity doesn't attract more men is because it's so equivocal and gray about everything it doesn't speak to the heart of a man a man wants to be challenged I think we can come to people and women too but overwhelmingly men Men need to be challenged. Hey, this is the right way to do it. We don't do it in a hateful way. We're sort of like a blow you up for it. You know, we're going to cut your hand off or something. But let's stand for righteousness in love. And I think there's great power in that. Judy! <laughs> okay, you're in your face, you know, prophesizing. Or I, Here's the situation. I was out with some girlfriends at a restaurant and one of the girls went up to the counter to get some food, and a husband and wife were right up behind her waiting to order. And she was walking around kind of waiting for her stuff, and the husband was literally drooling, looking at her. And his wife was standing off to the side. And I so wanted to go up and turn his head and say, you have a beautiful woman right here, what are you doing? But how do you do that? Because you know then it's going to cause heartache in the home. And So how do you do that properly? Well, would that jerk the <laughs> life out of you? Some lady goes, hey, quit staring at that woman. Appreciate your wife. Oh, man, would that be embarrassing. (laughs) You know? Um, Yeah, not everybody would appreciate that. (laughs) My main thing is to do this in the Christian community. Judgment needs to start with the house of God. Uh, Paul even talks about, look, you can't tolerate bad behavior in the church. 
But he says, and he says, don't have anything to do with people who act badly in the church. But he says, don't act that way toward people who are not in the church. Otherwise, you'd have to hide in a hole somewhere because there's, you know, people everywhere is acting. Although I'm not saying that it's not okay to step. I've done stuff like that. You know, I was, you know, I've, I've been in a, you know, a situation where some guy is uh, just cursing his brains out. You know, sitting, uh, we were sitting, waiting in an airport, and this young soldier, you know, guy's, you know, ripped and young guy, squished me like a bug. And he's effing this and that and just real gross sexual things so loud. There's women and children everywhere. And nobody says a word to this guy. And of course, you know me, so calm. And, <laughs> and so as I'm more irritated, where, where's, where are the men? No, it's like nobody has any cojones anymore. This is insulting. Okay, it's one thing the guy wants to curse. But not in this, come on. There's women and you're saying these loud, sexual, insulting things. I couldn't take it anymore. So I sat down and said, hey, listen, I just want to say something. I, I really appreciate your service and honor to our country. And when so many men today are more concerned about themselves, I thank God for men like you who are willing to go out and fight for what's right in the world. And it just, it just blew them away. I says, but dude, quit cussing so loud. Okay, there's women and children here. It's... It's beneath you. He didn't cuss anymore. <laughs> All right? So, you know, there's, there's ways of doing it. Uh, another time, there were two guys, again, were standing in line going through security. You know, at the beginning, these guys, again, big guys. Like, <laughs> I'm just a little, I guess, but big guys everywhere. They're cussing a blue streak. And I knew these guys could not be reasoned with logically. And I was pretty sure if I would have confronted them, they'd have punched me in the face. They, they were that bad. So I waited until I, I saw a cop standing here. And I waited. <laughs> until we came right in front of the cop. So in front of the cop, I turned around and said, Hey! Knock it off! What's the matter with you two? Or three of them. Cuss like, come on, don't be such pigs. Boy, did they get red in the face. They were ready to... Re- and look over and saw the cop. <sighs> you know? <laughs> so you want to be smart about it too, you know? So, you know... Be nice, be smart, don't be afraid. Again, everybody's different. Not everybody's got to be mean about it. But uh, I think it's, it's good to stand up for the right thing. But again, again, outside the church walls, you got to be a little bit careful or people just be insulted all the time. But uh, anyway, good question. Certainly in the church. Good Lord, somebody cussing around here. We've got to lay hands on you, beat you up. I don't want to one-up you on it. I was at a Packer game, and someone was just cussing away, and his son is beside him, and I basically grabbed his coat and talked in his ear, and I said, think of the role model you are today. And I was like, really? And, and he didn't do it again. It was done. It was great. <laughs> Good for you, mamacita. <laughs> See, what's great about a woman doing it, what are you going to do? You know? You can punch a guy in the face when a chick does it. I think you girls have some great power. You know, you can confront some of this stuff and I say, you know, what are you going to beat you up? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think, you know, there's an old saying, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. And, uh, and while we need to be careful, uh, we can't just be a culture of people that is afraid to confront evil. Otherwise, the culture just rots. <laughs> hey, seconds. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. All right. Last question. 
Okay, um, I would just wanted to say it seems like um, the modern day Christian man is like a is like in a in a chicken egg. Instead of trying to crack himself out, he's desperately closing and building a bigger shell instead of cracking out. Yeah, and confront all f- people to save them. And, no, I get it. But in, in all fairness to these guys, you have to admit the Christian community, if it's been anything. It's been a message of just be nice to everybody, never stand up, never say anything about anything. Uh, Again, to a lost and dying world, I can even accept that, you know. Although I don't have a problem with some guys really acting bad, you know, insulting all kinds of people to to, to challenge them. But, uh, But in the church, you know, that's why we have pastors who never preach about anything. They talk about theology, they talk about God, but they never really take an issue and say, don't do this, don't do that. Treat her right. Think about this. Behave this way with your children. Because they're afraid overwhelmingly of making somebody feel bad. And I think it's okay to fight for righteousness, that which is right, but in a nice way. And it's okay to be black and white. We don't all have to be so warm and fuzzy. But we can do it in a way of love. And I think if you speak the truth in love, that's what will be very powerful. All of you, stand up. Thank you for coming out. We took our offering. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us as our church continues to grow. Help us to be conscious of your presence, Lord. You said we live in an age where the Spirit of God, unlike the Old Testament, where your Spirit would just rest on a few selected people, we live in a day where your Spirit wants to rest on everybody. Your sons and your daughters would prophesy, it says. We would see visions, dream dreams. Help us to be sensitive to your presence and that you could move and work through us. Wouldn't it be fabulous as you could build enough confidence in each and every one of us that we could start speaking the words of God wherever we go. Encouraging, sometimes challenging, uh, but always walking in love. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Have a great rest of the week. See you Sunday.